Well, good morning to you online. Uh, I'm excited that uh, we have the opportunity to still gather as a church, certainly in a very different way this morning. Uh, but my name is Michael. I serve as one of the pastors here and very thankful to all of you that are watching online and very thankful to uh, all of you <laughs> that came to serve uh, this morning. Uh, as Kyle mentioned, we have been in a series over the past 20 days uh, on prayer. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how much is Genesis going to gather as a church in 2019. If you looked at how many times we will gather on a Sunday morning, we gather normally three times on a Sunday morning. We will gather 52 times throughout the year. We will gather uh, on the first Friday of every single month for times of prayer, uh, and then we will have a few gatherings as well on Christmas Eve. So if you were to look at the total amount of time and actually minutes that we will gather as a church uh, in 2019, the total number of gatherings will be 172 gatherings. Now, if you parse that out over how many minutes we will spend together as a church in 2019, all in, that would be 11,520 minutes that we will spend together. To put that in hours, we will spend 192 hours together in 2019. Now, to put this in the context of what's been happening in prayer over the first 20 days of 2019, when the clock strikes midnight on Monday, January 21st, we will have collectively covered 30,240 minutes in prayer. That is over 504 hours of prayer. Now, in 20 years of being in ministry, I have personally not been part of something as powerful as what's been happening here at this church over the past 20 days. I'm fully confident that God is going to move and work and use all of the gatherings that we will have as a church in 2019, but I am excited to see how God will move and respond to the prayers that have been prayed over 30,000 minutes worth of prayer. Now, I'm not sure what the past 20 days have been like for you specifically, but for me, I would actually use words to describe the past 20 days, words like refreshing. I would use words like encouraging. I would use words like pretty awesome, and I would say, honestly, it has been a lot of fun spending that amount of time in prayer. And if you were to ask me why I would use adjectives like that, I would tell you this, God changes me through prayer. God changes me through prayer. I think the common misconception is that we pray in order to change God toward what we would like Him to do for us, but the reality is this, God changes me, He changes you, He changes us through prayer. And so I would just ask you to think for a minute, how has God been changing you through prayer over the past 20 days? How has God been changing you through prayer over the past 20 days? It's safe to say that we all want to see some change in our life or some difference in our life. Well, if 21 days has reminded me of anything, it's reminded me that prayer is really the difference maker. Prayer is the difference maker. If I want to see a difference in how I live and the relationships that I have, if I want to see a difference in the relationship that I have with God and how I am growing in that relationship, prayer is the difference maker. Now, if that's true, and I believe it to be true, then the question I would just simply ask is this, then why don't we pray more? Why does it take a sermon series called 21 Days of Prayer to jumpstart prayer in our lives? 
The day that I've been thinking a lot about over the past 20 days, the day actually I've been thinking most about is day 22. Specifically, I've been wondering, is there going to be a drop-off in my life of prayer on day 22 and beyond? Would there be a drop-off in our life of prayer here at Genesis on day 22 and beyond? Will this just be another series that we did for 21 days and then we just kind of move on to the next thing. And then in 346 days, when January 1st, 2020 comes along, we'll revisit prayer for another 21 days. So what I wanted to share with you this morning, the question I wanted us to dive into, is this question of how might we continue in prayer regardless of the series that we're in, regardless of the season of life that we're in, how might we be men and women, how might we be a community that never stops praying. And so the best way that I could answer that question is to look at a story that Jesus told on prayer. And it's a story specifically that Jesus shared with his disciples to encourage them to never give up on prayer. This is in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and it says this, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus tells a story in order to encourage and help his disciples that they would never give up on prayer. Now, why would Jesus tell them, ultimately tell us a story like this? I think it's pretty easy and pretty clear that Jesus knew our proclivity would be to get tired and in time stop praying or just give up on prayer. I think Jesus knew that we would be able to have an excitement for maybe 21 days and then we would return to what life was like before day one actually started. So whether day one for you was, you know, I just was too busy to pray, or I was too distracted to pray, or I was just too discouraged to pray, I'm thankful that Luke 18 is a story that reminds me and encourages me of why we can continue to pray regardless of the days, the season, or the series that we happen to be in. So I want to read to you the rest of Luke uh, chapter 18, starting at verse 1, and read the first five verses. It says this, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city And he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And there was a widow of that city who came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, when you read that story, we're introduced immediately to two characters. We're introduced to a widow and we're introduced to a judge. In Jesus' day, a widow was in a really, really bad spot. Not only had she lost her spouse... But if this widow did not have uh, either a son or uh, a brother-in-law, not only had she lost her spouse, but she'd also lost her place in society because often they didn't have anyone else to care for them. And the end result of most widows was that they would become beggars. And so we see a woman who is in an absolutely desperate situation. 
And in the story, not only is she in a desperate situation, but she has an enemy that's now coming against her, and there's no one to help or defend her. So we meet a widow, but the second character that Jesus introduces, introduces us to in this story is a judge. Now, this is no Judge Judy, per se, who cares deeply about people and justice. The two details that we learn about this judge in particular is he's a judge who did not fear God, meaning he viewed himself as the ultimate authority, thus he thought pretty highly of himself. And the second characteristic that we learn about this judge is he didn't care about people. He didn't care at all about people. He didn't care what people thought of him, and he certainly didn't care about how his decisions would impact or affect people. So what's happening in this story is you have someone who's in a really desperate situation, and the only person who can do anything to actually help her does not care less about her or anyone else for that matter. And so I don't know if you can relate to this story, but it's really a story of someone who's in a really hard spot, and there's no one there to actually help you along. And so I don't know if you've been in that story before, but if you can look backwards for a moment and say, I can relate at some level where I've struggled with certain things or been in a tough spot before and just felt like I was alone. I didn't feel like I had anyone there to help or come alongside. Well, when you find yourself in a story like that, what have you done in times past? What has been your response in times past to situation or story like that? Did it lend yourself to just getting stressed, getting anxious, or just filled with worry? Or when you found yourself in a story like that, did you find yourself just filled with just fear and anger and frustration of the story and situation that you were in? Because Jesus tells a story that I think all of us, no matter who we are and where we've been, can certainly relate with. But then Jesus tells us something, what I think is very shocking in this story. Because in verse 6, this is what Jesus said. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. I don't know about you, but I would expect Jesus to say, learn a lesson from this persistent widow. Wouldn't you expect Jesus to say, hey, be like this widow, just keep going to God, keep pestering God until He finally maybe gets annoyed with you coming to Him over and over that He'll finally give you what you are asking for. Now, if that's actually what Jesus said, would any one of us here in any way be motivated just to keep praying? I know I would. Why on earth would I want to be around someone that I knew that I was just annoying them all the time? And so the question is, well, what then are we to learn from the unjust judge? If Jesus doesn't say, hey, learn a lesson from this widow who just was persistent, He doesn't tell us that. He tells us, learn a lesson from this unjust judge, then what can we learn from this unjust judge that would lead us to actually never stop praying or to never give up on praying? Let me finish reading the rest of the story in Luke chapter 18, pick up at verse 6 again. Then the Lord said... Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man, when Jesus returns, how many will he find on the earth 
who have faith. So the question is, what can we learn from this unjust judge that would actually keep us praying? And I think the first thing that I want us to see and want us to know and hear is this. God is nothing like this judge. God is absolutely nothing like this judge. Jesus is not saying that God is just a better version of this judge. He's ultimately wanting us to see that if this judge, who doesn't even care at all about people, would do the right thing, how much more would God, who cares deeply about you, respond to those who continually cry out to Him in prayer? Over the years, as I've been learning more and more about prayer, nothing has helped me understand and grow in my life of prayer, my relationship with God in prayer, than this statement, that our view of God shapes our life of prayer. Our view of God shapes our life of prayer. That is to simply say the things that we think about God that are not true or inconsistent with who He is, uh, we will not go to Him. If we are believing things about God that are just not true, if we're believing things about God that are not consistent with who He actually is, then we will not go to Him in prayer. Now, I think we understand this because if you ultimately believe that someone didn't care about you, I could promise you that in time, you would eventually get to the point that you would declare, you would say, gosh, I don't even want to be around you anymore because I believe that you don't even care about me, so why on earth would I want to be around you? I know for me, what kept me and what I think keeps so many of us from cultivating a life of never-ending or ceaseless prayer is believing things about God that are just not true. And so the lesson that I learned from this unjust judge is this, that God cares deeply about you. God cares deeply about me. God is never annoyed in our coming to Him. God is never tired of us coming to Him. And I want us to be as clear as we possibly can this morning that you and any request that you would have today or any day moving forward would never be burdensome to God. God would never think to Himself, just go away already. I'm tired of listening to you. I'm tired of you coming to me. That is inconsistent with who God is. God would never even have that thought where you or I would be a burden to Him. But here's the reality, not to be missed. Where we believe lies about God, there will always be prayerlessness. Where we believe lies or things about God that are not true, there will always be prayerlessness that follows. So the question that I would just ask all of us to think through this morning is this, are there any lies that you are believing about God today that are ultimately keeping you from coming to God in prayer? Is there anything that you are believing about God that's not true, not consistent with who He is, that somewhere, somehow, along the way, you began to view God through the lens of He's similar to this unjust judge? He doesn't really care about me. Yes, He cares about the world maybe, but not me and my concerns and the things that I'm going through. If there are things that we believe about God that are inconsistent with who He is, if there's lies we believe about God, it will lead to prayerlessness in our life. 
I know for me, one lie that I believed about God for years was that I needed to get my life together before I could really be with God and before He'd really actually want to be with me. That was the lie that I believed for years. I have to get myself together. I have to just get my performance up a little bit more. I have to be more spiritual. I have to maybe read my Bible and and start doing some good things before God would really want to be around me. And that was a lie that I believed about God that kept me from actually cultivating a life of prayer with God. But to me, this is the beauty of Jesus and prayer. Because apart from Jesus, I would never be actually good enough to be in the presence of God. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's Jesus' perfection that makes a place for me, that makes a place for you in the presence of God. It's not me somehow doing something to be good enough. It is Christ and what he did, his perfection, that makes a place for all of us to be in the presence of God. I love how the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 10. He says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in Him. So because of Jesus, we have been given a new life. And the new life that Jesus has given brings us into the very presence of God. It's not our perceived goodness that gets us into the presence of God so we can enjoy God in prayer It is Jesus who ushers us in to the presence of God so that we can pray. So we no longer have to believe lies that God doesn't want us around or does not care about the needs we have. He sent Jesus to secure new life for all of us so that we could be in his presence every moment of every day. So when you hear that invitation, that call, that command from God to us to never stop praying, What God is inviting us into is never stop being with me, never stop being with God. Now, for nearly 21 days, 504 hours, 30,240 minutes, we have been circling around one prayer. We as a church, as a community, have been going to God consistently for 30,000 plus minutes with this one prayer of new life. And our persistent prayer has been that God would allow us to see that God would allow us to be part of our friends or our family or our neighbors or classmates meeting Jesus and beginning a relationship with Jesus. And so the question I've been thinking about is, if you were to pray for 21 days and you've been praying for new life, you've been praying for a family member, a coworker, a neighbor to actually experience new life that comes with Christ, and you didn't see that individual that you had been praying about over the past 21 days, actually make a decision for Christ, would that have been wasted time? Let me just push this a little further. If you were to pray, not just for 21 days, but if you were to actually pray for, say, 21 years, and you were not going to see that one person that you had been circling in prayer, that they had yet to make a decision, whether it's a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend, a neighbor, coworker, classmate, 
If you were consistently praying for them for 21 years, but you hadn't seen any movement towards that person taking a step towards Christ, would that have been wasted time? Now, I would never claim to know the timing of God in certain things, meaning I don't know why certain prayers are answered seemingly very quickly, whereas others are not answered very quickly. For me personally, I've been praying for the better part of 20 years for one of my closest friends to make a decision for Christ. And in 20 years, I have not seen that person necessarily take a step towards wanting to even be interested in expressing a relationship, beginning a relationship with Christ. So I will ask myself, have I wasted 20 plus years praying for something that has not actually been answered yet? And here's what I would tell you with absolute confidence, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not one moment, not one prayer, whether it's for 21 days or 21 years, has been at all wasted, and here's why. Because I believe that God is faithful. I believe that God cares more about my friend than I do. I believe that God put me in their life for a reason, and I believe that God is using prayer in my life to change me in ways that's helping my friend catch a glimpse that God is actually real, that God cares. If we believe lies about who God is, we'll stop praying. But if we believe God and who He is, that He is faithful, that He cares more about people in our lives than we do, loves them more than we do, and if you believe that God has put you in their life for a specific reason, then you today too can have the same confidence that I have to continue to keep praying. Now, I don't know who you've been praying for, but I wanted to ask you this because day 22 is fast approaching on Tuesday. Would you be willing to keep circling your friend, their name in prayer for 21 minutes a day for the rest of 2019? Would you be willing to take 21 minutes of your day for the rest of 2019 and circle their name, circle who they are, and lift their name and their face and their story up to God for 21 minutes a day for the next, how many ever days in 2019? Now, to maybe give you context, if you were to do that, 21 minutes a day for the remainder of 2019, that would be 128 hours of prayer. If you parse that out, that's five days. Would you be willing to pray for your friend who does not know who Jesus is yet for 128 hours of prayer or five days? Now, to help us even think about maybe that number and put it in greater context, uh, the average person will spend, uh, the average person will spend seven hours a day between social media and television. That's 2,555 hours or 106 days that we will give ourselves to TV, social media, internet. Would you be willing to say, you know what, what's more important to me is I'm going to pray for 128 hours over 2019. I can give myself to five days for the sake of my friend. Now, would you be willing to push this beyond 2019? 
Would you be willing to say, you know what, if I don't see God answer the prayer in 2019, I will keep circling her name. I will keep circling his name. Would you be willing to keep circling their name in prayer for 21 minutes a day for the next maybe 21 years? And again, to give you context of what that would be, that would be praying for that one person for 2,683 hours or 112 days. If you were to commit to praying for someone for 21 minutes a day for the next 21 years, that would be 112 days. And if you're curious to know about how much time the average person will spend on TV, social media over the next 21 years, it's 53,665 hours or 2,236 days. For the sake of a friend that doesn't know who Christ is, for the sake of a family member that doesn't know who Christ is, Would we be willing, as men and women who believe rightly who God is, that He cares deeply, not only about you, but the people in our lives, that He is faithful, would you be willing to continue to circle their name in prayer? That is my hope for day 22, that whether we say, hey, I'm given five days or I'm given 112 days, I'm going to continue to pray because it is the best investment that I can give. Prayer not only changes me, but prayer also changes those around us.